Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio with me, Joe Moffat. Uh, today we are on show number 526 and the topic that we're going to be exploring today is how to realize a competitive advantage through mental health. Um, by way of a little introduction to Engage for Success, for those who may um, not be too sure who we are, we are a not-for-profit movement. We're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement and we're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. If you visit our website at engageforsuccess.org, you can learn more and you can also sign up there for our weekly newsletter. So I'm Jo Moffitt. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio. And as with everyone who's involved in Engage for Success, we are all volunteers and we all have day jobs. And mine is Managing Director and Founder of Woodread, which is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So back to today's topic and today's special guest. So to help us explore the topic of realizing competitive advantage through mental health, I'm very pleased to welcome to Engage for Success Radio, Jeff McDonald, Jeff from Jeff McDonald Consulting Limited. Um, welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Joe, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, I'm trying to I'll do a little bit of an intro um, of, of you in a, in a moment, um, but I think we, we first met when I saw you speaking at one of the um, Economist uh, Summit um, events. Yes. I think that was, yes. that was was, wasn't it? Um, which, uh, which was all around health and well-being and sustainable, creating sustainable workplaces. So I know this is very much a, a passion of yours and a, and a professional um, career-long interest that has developed because you've been involved in teaching, in HR, marketing, communication, and also, of course, sustainability. And you were with Unilever for 25 years, I believe. So um, a huge amount of experience um, all around the globe. And, and for those who need, uh, who, knew, who need reminding, Unilever, of course, massive global corporation, um, 170,000 employees, 90 countries around the globe. Uh, turning over in excess of 50 billion across a whole range of consumer product markets. So, um, Jeff, let's let's kick off. Um, welcome to the show, but let let's let's begin um, by asking you just to tell us a little bit about that that career. I mean, 25 years with a leading global player like Unilever is a is a a, a massive um, degree of experience and, of course, expertise. So do do tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, well, thanks, Joe. And I suppose, you know, the fact that I spent 25 years with one company uh, bears some testimony to what an amazing organization uh, Unilever is. Mm -hmm. uh, and in many ways was for me. As, as you said, mm -hmm. I, I started my career in teaching uh, math technology back in South Africa with right. A-level um, and after about three years of teaching, I kind of stumbled on this organization called Unilever and uh, got a job in a sort of training kind of role. This, there was a bit of a link between teaching and training, I suppose. Of course, and, yeah. um, 
I mean, the rest was history. I, you know, I had 25 wonderful years, um, eight years in the South African business, five years operating out of London, uh, but responsible from an HR point of view across Africa, Middle East and Turkey. Uh, then off to Australasia for a couple of years, then back into some global roles in the centre here in, in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as you say, culminating in a job which was which was really looking after all of our marketing, communications and sustainability efforts around the Unilever mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And, and probably a, a very fulfilling last five years in that Unilever rediscovered its purpose as an organization and used that sense of purpose to transform its performance. Um, and I suppose it was that it was that journey that I was on at an organizational level where one day I kind of thought to myself, I wonder if I could do that for myself. So mm-hmm. It's a very clear sense of purpose and, uh, and where that takes me. And um, that really culminated in a sense of purpose, which is to try and create workplaces all over the world where every single person in that workplace feels that they genuinely have a choice to just put their hand up and ask for some help if they are struggling with a common form of mental ill health. That could be depression, mm-hmm. it could be anxiety, they might be bipolar. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I decided to leave Unilever and uh, go out into the world 2014, driven by that very deep uh, sense of purpose. Right. It's interesting. I mean, is it just going... We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what you've been what you've been doing since you left Unilever, but... It's interesting. I mean, Unilever very much renowned for being one of the one of the first big consumer brand organisations to really start to look and put their put their money where their mouth is in terms of this whole purpose thing, weren't they? I mean, they they led they led the way. I think it's fair to say. Would you? I think. I mean, well, I would say Patagonia as an organisation um, right. has really yep. led the way this whole area of purpose um you know i mean they, they've done some amazing work and and yes and i think unilever you know we kind of piggybacked on some of that work um and uh and it was an amazing journey you know and i think consumers more and more in fact i don't like to use the word consumer i like to call them people you know they're human yeah. beings um yes. are looking for brands that that bring us a, a kind of an emotional benefit to them and of course, the functional benefit of the brand has got to be in place. So the brand has got to work um, functionally. But I think more and more consumers are looking for brands that are that are trying to do some good in the world and just try and make it a better place and feel emotionally connected to that brand. Yes, and and it's interesting. I mean, Unilever, I'm, I'm, as, as far as I'm aware, they've they've even when it comes down to where they put their marketing investment, where they put their R and D investment, they. If, if the brands in their portfolio don't really support that whole purpose, then they're not the brands that get the investment and they're really focusing yeah. on the ones that play to that purpose and support that Absolutely. purpose, which is really, really sort of, you know, they stick to their guns in that regard. And yeah. so what does that mean for people that the average employee within Unilever um, and they're, you know, 170,000 or so around the globe, do they, that sense of purpose does that that filters through to how people feel working there does it jeff yeah yeah no very 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 definitely you know i think mm. that um 
you know, it's, 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 it, as I say, it's, it's not only in the brands, you know, that you, you kind of are creating that sense of purpose. I mean, part of Unilever's, I mean, what was great about what Unilever did was they created a sense of purpose, but not just a statement, you know, they identified some big goals that they were going to go after. And those, you know, those goals, yes, had a brand element to them, but they also had a supply and factory element to them. You know, they had an individual well-being kind of element to them. So, so I think, you know, depending upon where people were working, you know, they, they really began to feel that sense of purpose. And, um, and, and all the communications, you know, it was, was always about, you know, our purpose, what we were trying to achieve, achieving these big goals that we had set ourselves back in 2009, 2010, which continues today. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, it takes a it takes a lot of good uh, engagement, communication, um, celebrating some of the success, telling wonderful stories around the organisation of how you know the sense of purpose was beginning to to you know transform the organisation. You know, one of the things that I've learned, Joe, over the last ten years is storytelling is probably the most powerful driver of behaviour change in organisations. And the more yes. stories you can tell of the successes, uh, the better. You know, we can give data and we can give numbers and we can have that kind of rational view as to why we should be doing things. But I think when people hear stories and it resonates, that really does help to drive mm-hmm. behavior change. And, and we told lots of wonderful stories which permeated throughout the organization. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, I, I'm totally with you on that and I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's the it's that emotional engagement that people get yeah. through storytelling, isn't it, that can really be a yeah. very powerful driver of, of, of change and behavior and all, all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. And in that time you were, you, you were with Unilever and, and obviously recent years more so, the health and well-being agenda. I mean, that must have been. Did you in the in your early years with Unilever? How how centre stage was that? I mean, was that something that you only saw come to the fore more recently in your experience? And if so, was it was it a struggle to get people to take that kind of thing seriously? Yeah. So in my early days, I mean, it wasn't absolutely it wasn't on the agenda at all. Mm, I mean, no. You know, Joe. I mean, I mean part of part of the reason why I kind of decided and began to formulate this own sense of purpose and meaning um, was because of my own lived experience uh, back mm-hmm. in 2008 with anxiety right. fuel depression. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, at that time I was doing a really big job in Unilever. I was, I was in the home care division. I was responsible for HR for all of our home care division around the Unilever world. And I got very, very sick with anxiety, fuel, depression. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that kept me alive in my darkest, darkest moments was a sense of love and a sense of hope from the people around me. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reason I could feel a sense of love and a sense of hope is because I spoke about my illness. I, you know, I did not mask. I did not uh, shy away from telling people that I was that I was off work with anxiety, fuel, mm-hmm. depression. And... Um, and yes, I slowly recovered and I got myself back to work. And then four years after what I call my crucible moment in life, I lost a very good friend to suicide. And, uh-huh. um, you know, the, the night he died, I kind of lay in bed and I thought to myself, what's the difference between him and me? Here I am four years after my crucible moment in life, flourishing in many ways, and, mm. and he's no longer with us. And I came to a simple conclusion that mm-hmm. stigma had just killed my friend. Uh, really? The stigma around mm. anxiety, 
had just killed my friend. And, you know, Joe, I thought that that was an injustice in the world. Um, right. You know, had he I had a common understand. illness, he would have asked for some help. But because yeah. he was alpha, male, macho, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't talk to anybody about how he was feeling. And, yes. um, you know, that, that then led me on a journey to, um, to actually raise the whole issue of mental health within Unilever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I co-led a piece of work around breaking the stigma of mental ill health within the UK business. We piloted and we saw some amazing, amazing results. And I think it was after seeing some of those results, I just thought, you know, I've learned something here. Uh, I want to take that to the world. And there's some, you, um, so yeah, yeah, there's some real value in taking this more widely and getting this understanding and this message out there because there's a, a, a clear social benefit from that from that purpose of your own your own work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a social benefit, and and you know, I think also for organisations, there's a performance benefit. Um, of course, for yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I often say, and and have, wearing your marketing hat, uh, Joe. Brand mental health is the most damaged brand I have ever, ever come across. Because whenever you hear the word mental health, people Mm -hmm. immediately go to depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. You know, if you hear the word physical health, people don't immediately go to glandular fever, cancer, diabetes. And... um, they don't, you know, go to, men- they don't leap from physical health to chronic, do they? Exactly. I mean, if you, were, if, you went to, if you were in Regent Street and you walked up Regent Street and you went into a Nike store, I mean, all over the walls, you would see people with the most beautiful bodies on the walls, you know, um, and you'd kind of think about your own and you'd say, gee, that's an inspirational image. Maybe I'll go and buy a pair of running shoes. You know, when it comes to mental health, the images we see are, you know, black and white photographs, somebody in a, in some sort of hospital with a white coat on. I mean, there's nothing inspirational and aspirational about mental health and how to look after our mental health. And, and, you know, mental health is a wonderful thing to have. When I'm mentally healthy, and what do I mean by that? I mean, I've got good cognitive abilities. I can concentrate. I can focus. I can make good judgments. I can analyze data. I mean, this is a wonderful thing to have. And, yeah. um, and, and the, more we can, the more we can enhance and encourage positive mental health within workplaces, um, the, the better the performance of the individuals because their cognitive abilities are so much sharper, uh, which I think is good all round. So, yes, there's a societal benefit to all of this in addressing stigma. Um, but I think in, the, in an organization, you know, there's a, there's a performance benefit. There's a real performance benefit. Um, yes. And how do, we, how do we really create workplaces where we, where we are truly enhancing, you know, the overall well-being and mental health of the people? That's the yeah. challenge. So- yeah, indeed. And and in your in your experience, Jeff, do you do you find that organisations can fall foul of um, playing the tick box um, and failing to really address the underlying causes of um, damaging? I'm thinking about things like toxic cultures in the workplace and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, yeah. Um, you think I mean, that's you a, 
no, no. I, I, I was, I was simply really reiterating what I was saying that, that you know, it, it, do you see in your in your experience that many organisations it's almost they almost apply a sticking plaster rather than looking at some of the fundamentals that can impact people's mental health. Yeah, look, I think I think I mean let let me preface my answer by saying that I think in the UK and you know my work is global, so I'm, but I'm going to talk mm-hmm. this mainly a UK audience. But I would say in the UK, um, maybe I'm wrong by saying that. Am I? That this is a UK audience listening to us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, not not exclusively by any means. Actually, we we do have listeners okay. around the world, but, but but the majority of UK, yeah. Okay, but in the UK, um, Canada, Australia, I think I think organisations have made some significant progress over the last ten years in opening up the conversation around mental health. And I think as a society in the UK, uh, we've also I think we should we should recognise that. Yeah. However. Having said that, you know, I often say that mental health or well-being initiatives um, don't really stick within organizations. They don't really stick. You know, they tend why, to be... Why do, you think that, why do you think that is, Jeff? I, I think that there are three or four reasons for that. The first reason, Joe, is that the well-being of people in organizations is not seen to be a strategic imperative. It's not a strategic imperative in the boardroom. And I don't know why it's not, because the biggest insights I've had over the last 10 years in and out of various organizations is that the most limiting factor in workplaces today is the energy of people. People are frazzled. They are frazzled. And I can tell you that your energy Working in a team that has got energy, in an organization where you feel the energy and passion, that drives performance. Mm-hmm. So I would Absolutely. argue that the most critical enabler of individual team and organizational performance is the energy of your people. So why wouldn't you have it as a strategic imperative? Because every other strategic imperative within the boardroom is about enhancing the performance of that organization. Why is the well-being of people not a strategic imperative? Why does it kind of sit maybe in the HR function as one of the strategic imperatives or in health and safety? So number one, the reason it doesn't stick is because it's seldom a strategic imperative in the boardroom, in the Mm -hmm. Mm C-suite. The second reason I don't think it sticks is because there is very, very little organization accountability to keep people healthy at work. So I'll keep you safe. Organizations around the world spend billions and billions of dollars in health and safety. Guess what? It all goes to safety. So I'll keep, yeah. you, physically safe. I'll keep you physically safe, but I don't really have to worry about what impact I as an organization are having on your overall well-being. So there's no organization accountability to drive and enhance the well-being of people. That's the second mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. The third is there's no individual accountability. We don't in any way encourage and hold individuals somewhat accountable for the most critical enabler of their performance, their energy, their health, their well-being. Mm. And then finally, Joe, is I often see wonderful well-being strategies being developed. But, you know, there are often cultural barriers that usurp that well-being strategy. So you can have all these lovely strategic 
you know, imperatives around well-being. But if there are certain cultural issues that are not being addressed, they serve as barriers and they will derail the strategy. And we know when culture and strategy collide, culture wins every single time. So I'll give you an example. Yeah, I was going to say, give give us an example of when you've seen something like that happen. Well, I'll I'll give you an example. Don't tell me to go and use a Headspace app or a Calm app or give me a ride to work scheme when I've got, I'm working in a culture where there's bullying going on. Let's address the bullying culture, all right? And then I will very happily use some of these resources that you've offered me. So coming back to your point, you know, I think since COVID, what I've seen since COVID is that organizations do well-being to their people. Yeah. They do well-being to their people. Well, I think the time has come for us to do well-being to organizations and to look at the culture of organizations and begin to address some of those cultural barriers, some of those cultural aspects that are limiting and not enhancing the performance of individuals or the lives of individuals. You know, imagine Mm -hmm. an employee value proposition which says, come and work for my organization. You know why? Because I will enhance your life. I can tell you, Joe, most organizations that I go into, people's lives are being diminished by going to work. They are not being enhanced. And so, yes, we have to move away from these kind of as you say, tick box, well-being week, I care for you for a week of the year and then I flog you to death for the other 51 weeks of the year. Yeah, or I've got don't a worry, don't worry, because we'll give you free apples on a Friday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so we need to make this a strategic imperative. And why do I want it to be a strategic imperative? Because it's a critical enabler of the performance of the organization. And it's not an either or. It's not about, you know, spending time on well-being or spending time driving the performance of the organization. It's an and. We should see this as an and. And I think too often organizations kind of see it as an or. You know, is it well-being or is it about time to drive performance? Well, no. They are inextricably linked together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, I, I all absolutely absolutely right and, and, and argued with, with passion, which I would expect nothing less than. So thank you for that. And in the in the time we have remaining, which is about eight minutes or so, uh, given that over the last ten years you have been you've taken your experience and expertise at Unilever and you've shaped it into your own organizational purpose with your own consulting and you're talking to a whole raft of other organizations now rather than simply you know Unilever how do you when you when you go and talk to organizations how do you get them to think about making well-being a strategic imperative what what steps do you counsel them to take what actions do you want them to adopt well look i I think there are two things um joe um you know the 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 most important is that i I, that i get an audience with the executive team they have to buy into it in the first place beg your pardon they have to buy into this in the absolute bit and and the way in which i the way in which i try and catalyze and shift the mindsets of those executives is 
one through my own personal story and mm-hmm. as we were saying you know storytelling has is huge in in helping to influence and drive behavior change but it, but it's not only about telling my story it's then about making this link between the concept of well-being the concept of energy and the performance of individuals and teams within the organization. Um, and so what I tend to do is I tend to focus more on trying to, trying to make that emotional connection, that aha moment for these senior leaders. Because, Joe, I can put all the data on the table. I can put all the data, which shows that if you invest in the well-being of your people, for every $1 that you invest, you're going to get five or six in return. I mean, I can put all of that data on the, on the table, you know, but I think it's, what's more important is to, is to get this kind of emotional connection. Um, and, through, and through telling my own story, sharing some of my own lived experience, uh, bringing some of the good practice into the room, and then leaving them with a very, very simple framework of what is it that they could go away and do? So what needs to happen at the individual level what needs to happen at the organizational level? What are some of those cultural barriers to be aware of? And, and guide them through the framework such that they've got something that they could go take away and, and, and kind of almost analyze their own organization against that framework, identify some of the gaps, and begin the journey of creating a workplace culture that enhances the lives of every individual such that they feel engaged, and are going to perform at their best. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar, I mean, it, it's totally aligned with everything that we try and do at Engage for Success, if you like, which is around, you, it's finding the proof, finding the evidence, yes, but actually at the end of the day, it's telling stories about yeah. how this stuff matters. And I, yeah. and I wonder whether, Jeff, you, you recommend that leadership teams go and talk to their own people to hear the lived well, experience of their people or, or is that yeah. difficult when people don't feel safe to speak up look I, th- I think there's a bit of that joe where people just don't feel safe and that's where sometimes you've got to introduce some kind of survey and bring some of the data and put that data in front of you know that executive team and i know that i know that engage for success is very much around driving up levels of engagement and you know we run engagement surveys in organizations uh, and that helps to identify areas that the organization could focus on to enhance the engagement. But I, I, we've also got the tools now to run well-being surveys within mm. organizations. And, and you know, the, for me, there's a real difference between an engagement survey and a well-being survey. And for me, an engagement survey, what it does, you know, when people feel engaged, you're measuring people's sense of pride, their sense of willingness to go the you know go that extra mile for the organization but what an engagement survey doesn't measure is people's ableness to go the extra mile how able are they you know when i was really ill with anxiety field depression i was hugely proud to be working for unilever i was willing to go the extra mile guess what i wasn't able to you weren't able and so by running some well-being surveys you know, maybe every second year, one year is an engagement survey, the next year is a well-being survey, and then being able to bring some of that data to the executive team to show, you know, um, areas that they need to focus on to enhance both people's ableness to go the extra mile as well as their willingness to go the extra mile. Mm. 
yeah no absolutely no you're you're absolutely right and it, you know they they may well be willing but are they they may be willing are but able? are they able mm. yeah yeah absolutely okay so we've we've got we've got a, just over a minute left um if if there's somebody listening to this and your story you've told your story and in the way of stories that story has chimed with our listener um and they're thinking, gosh, yeah, I, could, I get that. You know, people are engaged in my organization, but I can see that they're not necessarily um, able. Um, how, how would somebody say in an, in an HR, HR leadership role listening, um, take this forward and start the process of convincing their leadership team that something needs to happen? What one thing could somebody begin doing around this topic? You know, you know, Joe, I, I, I experienced that when I worked for Unilever. It almost mm-hmm. took me a year and a half to get the whole concept of mental health onto the agenda. And do you know what was the, you know what was the, the thing that kind of <laughs> broke the camel's back in some ways? Yeah. Was having an external catalyst. An external catalyst. Right. So I, be, I, was, I sounded like a bit of a stuck record, all right? <laughs> And sometimes just getting that external catalyst. And and I and Unilever, I brought Alistair Campbell in. I got to know Alistair very well through oh, my, right. my uh-huh. And I brought Alistair in. Uh, and, you know, he was able to say things and he was able to show stuff and he was able to bring all sorts of good practice. And it just mm-hmm. it just made a huge, huge difference by having that external catalyst come in and kind of almost reawaken the organization. Because so often, you know, organizations are so inward looking and just having somebody to come in with a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh view uh, can, in many ways, just help to begin the journey. Lovely. Thank you. Um, we run right, right out of time. I'm going to close um, by ask, uh, telling our listeners um, to have a look for our latest Engage for Success campaign, which is hashtag 90 Second Nugget. EFS because what we're in, what we're challenging people to do and maybe you'd like to do this on LinkedIn for us as well Jeff is to record on your smartphone your 90 second nugget for an engaged or in your case a well-being you know, a well workforce um, what can make that difference and we're encouraging people to share their experiences on LinkedIn and challenge others to share their own too so please um, search for hashtag 90 second nugget EFS Um, And meantime, thank you for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Thank you very much to today's special guest, Jeff McDonald from Jeff McDonald Consulting, who's shared his experiences and his own uh, powerful story with us. So, Jeff, thank you for that. Um, Don't forget, you can download or stream any of the shows from our archive at any time. Just visit engageforsuccess.org. And that's also where you can find out about getting involved with the organization in a volunteer capacity, too. So um, that's it from me. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Uh, Thank you again, Jeff. And goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.